and welcome to another evening of Frank Conversation here on Hard Copy, coming to you from our studios in Abuja. I'm Maupe Ogun Yusuf. On the 17th of November, the National Bureau of Statistics, in conjunction with a number of other important partners, released a report which gave an overview of the breadth and depth of poverty in Nigeria, the National Multidimensional Poverty Index. Analysts say the report, which confirms what many Nigerians already knew about the state of poverty in the country, exceeds the projections of the World Bank, which had estimated that 95.1 million Nigerians would fall into poverty by 2022 owing to the effect of COVID on the economy. However, on this particular day, it was revealed that a whopping 133 million Nigerians are multidimensionally poor. It's a hard reality to face, but does mean that we must ask hard questions of our policymakers and of those who now seek to govern us at various levels as to whether they understand the weight of the task at hand. On Hard Copy tonight, I speak with one who's been a policymaker in the past and could be one again in the nearest future. Sylvester Moyne is a professor of international business who served as special advisor to President Goodluck Jonathan on performance monitoring and evaluation, and is currently senior policy advisor to not just the Delta State Government, but also to the PDP Presidential Campaign Council. Welcome to Hard Copy. Thank you very much. Well, 133 million Nigerians, you have served at you know, the highest level, uh, you know, at the federal government level of this country, and perhaps might have an overview, performance, monitoring and evaluation was your forte. Um, did this figure come as a surprise to you? Well, it is a surprise. Um, we've had issues uh, with poverty over the years. And as a matter of fact, in the recent uh, uh, data from World Bank and other institutions, they classified Nigeria as the poverty capital of Nigeria. But what is actually shocking is the magnitude of this particular uh, survey. Um, in the last survey, uh, poverty survey, uh, it is officially claimed that about 40% of Nigerians were poor. But this figure puts it official, because this official data from National Bureau of Statistics puts it at 63%. But unofficially, we know it's more than that. But what is significant about we, we, it? might be more than that. We, we don't know we, that. We expect, uh, we think <laughs> it's more than that. But what is significant about this is the, the depth of the survey in terms of categorization, what okay. constitutes poverty in this case. They looked at health, uh, education, uh, standard, um, living standard, unemployment, insecurity, all told you have massive number of people in Nigeria who are classified as being poor. Uh, in that classification, some states have done better than others. The big question is, why, ha why are some states doing better than others under this circumstance? There could be so many reasons. Um, the, the nature, the structure of Nigeria's economy will mean that one, we need to understand the structure and then begin to think of what we do with the structure. Is it the right structure or should we do something about it? 
The, if you look at the structure currently, uh, petroleum, which is our mainstay, contributes 9% to our GDP. Agriculture contributes about between 23 and 25% to our GDP, which is highly, highly uh, significant because the global average is about 6%. That is the global average. That, uh, that agriculture contributes to any GDP? To, uh, yes. Um, in South Africa, the contribution of agriculture to their GDP is 2.8%. Um, in the UK, is 0.8%. In Germany, 0.8%. In the US, 1%. In China, uh, about 6% or 7%. In uh, India, it's about 14%. So Nigeria is way out of line with the global uh, practice in terms of contribution or the, uh, the, the role of agriculture. But what is significant, even in this size, this beautiful contribution to our GDP, is that we have over 70% of Nigerians involved in agriculture. At the same time, our greatest problem is food price inflation. In fact, in South Africa, which is our comparator country, only 5% of their population is involved in agriculture. So what you are dealing with is poverty sustainability in terms of our approach. There's no way we can break out of poverty with our thinking in agriculture. You know, so I'm trying to do the math in my head. You, we have 70% of our population contributing about 25% you know, to the GDP, and you have, say, somewhere in South Africa where 5% of the population is contributing 2%. The question is, what is the quality of this contribution? Uh, I think that's the, the, the key question. And that's a, a question I will be struggling to, uh, to answer for decades now. Um, I, I do know that Sakimu um, um has, has been talking about how we need to leave, not just, we need to be talking agribusiness. Yes. That is, there seems to be a focus on agriculture and it's been subsistence farming. And, and that's where, you know, it's keeping people poor. And oftentimes, and I think even generally in African countries, when they talk about agriculture, according to young people, they have said that the picture of the farmer in Africa is so unattractive to young people wanting to be farmers. Because what you see is uh, people who are poor, uh, who are on the farm, they look dirt poor. You don't see pictures of farmers and tractors who are looking wealthy, like they have actually made something from agriculture. So is it the type of agriculture that we are practicing, um, or rather than the, the, the problem being with agriculture itself? There's no problem with agriculture. What we have, agriculture is a, a whole value chain from production, processing, storage, packaging, and marketing. It's a whole value chain. Indeed. But we are focused on production. The so primary aspect The primary of aspect that has very little or no value addition. Now, the problem with that is that the level, the capacity to generate wealth is very limited. So you don't have producers who go to market toil all year, struggle to sell to this guy who buys at knockdown prices. So there is no protection 
For the farmer. For the farmer. It's been a real problem. Yeah. And, I, and so, I know that, you know, administration in, administration out, it has been a real challenge addressing this. Um, added to the fact that when you look at the poverty figures, uh, majority of the people who are poor are in rural communities. Um, we're looking at um, trying to find the uh, figure where it says uh, rural communities are, are, are hardest about, hit. About 60% or so. Also, yes, of, of them living in rural communities. And this is also where you have the biggest population. So there is also, we are also experiencing an exponential growth in population. There's been no talk around how to manage this population uh, some people will say perhaps one of the reasons why farmers, especially farmers who are still doing subsistence farming, uh, will need, will want to produce Extra more hands. children so they can yeah. have more hands. Well, you see, but we need to have moved on from there. Well, the, the interesting thing is that the, the agriculture as is being practiced today cannot help. What Aki Additional is talking about is absolutely right, agribusiness. Now, in doing agribusiness, you are not looking at it from the point of the subsistence farming. We need to do mega commercial agriculture. There's no way Nigeria can break out of poverty without massive injection of the private sector into agriculture. And to do that, the, the, the policies must reflect the desire of the government. And that is to say, provide the, uh, the necessary incentive and support for private sector to drive agriculture in a mega way. In an, in an interesting manner, you know, it's not just the federal government that has responsibility for No, this. I'm coming to that. Yes. You see, if you look at federal government and what they can do, yes. the first thing you find is that federal government has no patch of land that you call federal government space. It, every space is owned by a state. Indeed. So you have to work with the states. Indeed. So that's why it is even more instructive when you look at what it is that, you know, when you look at how the report is broken down and how it is a state affected, uh, you know, that, you know, uh, Sokoto state is, has the most number of poor people at 91%, uh, followed by Bayelsa state. And then you now have uh, Gumbi, Jigawa, and Plateau state as the top poorest state or the states with the most number of poor people. Uh, so you, the, the key questions as to what exactly will be common to this state, um, it, it cannot be, we cannot be talking about party leadership, even though I know that it's the season of politics and uh, you know, politicians have also tried to take this in a very partisan way. But if you were to break it down um, along that level, it would be that uh, the, the first two states are, are governed by PDP governors, the other states are governed by APC governors. So there are questions as to what exactly will be the common denominator? Why do you think that somebody who lives in Northwest and at the extreme Northwest in Sokoto is just as multidimensionally poor as somebody who lives in the South-South region or Bielsa. Whether you are in Bielsa, Sokoto, or anywhere, the, the issue of insecurity has multiply effect. And if you don't go to farm, there's nothing you can do. Yeah, but I mean, you cannot say that the level of insecurity in a place like Bielsa uh, is the same as, say, uh, one of the Northwest states. The, 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 there's also the issue of size. The, there's also the issue of size. Bielsa is a very small uh, state that has been negatively impacted by environmental challenges. You know, there are issues of uh, oil spillage and all that. It's, it's a very small place. And the fishing has been traditionally their mainstay. But that has also been affected by environmental issues. So there are challenges 
just as you have in Sokoto or anywhere else. Mm -hmm. But the interesting thing is, if you look at a place like Lagos, you expect Lagos to be the most prosperous part of the country. But it's it, not. It is one of them. It's, it's, it is one of the least poor, actually, the it, second least poor state, which ranges 9.4%. Yeah, but you see, the point is that you have the issue of heavy unemployment, pressure on standard of living. Mm. That is what is depressing Lagos. Because Lagos is the hub, economic hub of Nigeria. But it's not coming to the top. What is also interesting is Ondo appears to be the least poor, the least poor state yeah. in the country. Now, that has to be understood as to why that figure is there. Do but you, are policymakers really interested in this? Oh, yes. I mean, because by now, you would think that political parties will be having conversations amongst their own, say, governors or their own policymakers to understand what has happened with this figure, to so understand perhaps what they should be doing uh, maybe at the federal level or maybe at the level of the states to say, you know, this should be the trajectory that our party should be looking at wherever it is that we take power. I don't know what other parties are doing, but I know what uh, the PDP. A, a PDP and Atiku are doing. They want to change the way things are uh, managed in Nigeria. You know, as they say, only a madman will be on one spot and marching and, make, and saying, I'm not making progress. We've been on one spot, we've been marching, and we're sweating, and yet we're not moving. What uh, Atiku said is that we need to restructure the country. We need to restructure the way we run this country. For example, restructuring is not a cliche for an Atiku president. It is a serious business. The starting point in terms of the benefit of restructuring is the issue of insecurity. What he has said is that we will devolve powers to the state to say, have your police at the state level and maybe at the local government level. You know, one of the problems we have today in Nigeria is that everybody says the size of the police force is small, less than 300, about 300,000 people who are policing a country of 212 million people. Now, that is it's a joke. Now, if you have state police, it means that every state can at least hire 10,000 uh, indigents. Can in they pay them? Oh, yeah. Currently, who, who are those paying for the police? I know that in Delta State, they, they, they pay, they buy arms, they provide vehicles, they provide um, all sorts of support, accommodation. I mean, literally, <laughs> the state runs the police force. But they're not paying salaries. They're not paying the, the general... But we have, uh, we have uh, volunteer service. We have uh, Delta. We have all sorts of support services. And every community in Delta, and indeed nationwide now, has uh, uh, vigilante groups. These people are paid. So why don't you transform them into police? So you are not talking about uh, uh, creating another level. You are just converting what you already have. So states are already spending a lot of money on intelligence gathering and uh, policing, be it a native policing. But they are doing that. So you can only increase that uh, overhead marginally, but the structure is already there. And you cannot police a community if you don't know the community. You know, indexes like this, I mean, as you rightly pointed out, it's a multidimensional index, and one of the indexes uses that of education. I mean, because some people will say restructuring, that's a little far-fetched. I mean, 
it, it might take a while to implement. There'll be initial hiccups and, you know, perhaps hits and misses before we eventually get ourselves, you know, on the right track. But what we currently have on our hands, education and health. Those are two areas where the federal government has as much power as the state is on the concurrent legislative list. What do you think that state governments need to do and perhaps also the federal government needs to be doing um, or maybe what the article uh, campaign wants to implement if it's eventually able to get the votes of Nigerians to bring down uh, this particular index as, as part of the things contributing severely to our, our poverty index. Can I ask... What is the business of federal government running a medical center in a state capital like Lokoja or Asaba or uh, Akure? What is their business? What a president Atiku will do is to let you, that's part of the uh, uh, restructuring we're talking about. He will let you run the hospital, he will give you the resources, but there will be standard. Professor Moye, you speak as if you've not been in this country. Are you aware? No, that no, hang on. Just a moment. Hmm? Are you aware that a number of uh, federal medical centers are about the only places that people trust to go to? That you, even the general hospitals of some states do not work as well as the federal medical centers that are situated in those states. Now, there's what is called, what is called uh, power, uh, authority, and responsibility. You give people responsibility, you give them authority. Right now, most states can't afford to run those medical services you are talking about. But if you give them the resources and provide standard. Why should they be given resources? Why can't because they the purpose of their own resources? The purpose of devolution, the purpose of restructuring is not for you to hive off responsibilities for medical care and education and you keep the money. No. The purpose is to allow people to do, to be independent. You are saying that people are not responsible enough to run their affairs, that states are not responsible enough to uh, run their affairs. What an article president will do is to say, no, you are responsible. I trust you. We'll give you the resources. You run the thing. But we reserve the right to ensure that the standard in this state is the same thing in all the, stand, all the states. Is that enough? Because only a few days ago, the governor of River State was uh, quoted as saying that a lot of the jobs that he has been doing in infrastructure, he's been implementing from the 13% derivation backlog paid to uh, states which to get this money by the federal government. And he says, this is what I'm doing with my own money. And he challenged the governors of the other states who are also getting this 13% derivation to show what their own people, what they're doing with their own funds. So it's a problem really about funds. And if we were to talk about funds, uh, a state like Bayelsa should not be one of the states that are, you know, also mentioned within the poverty index. It does get a an extra 13% derivation. Yes, the environmental challenges are there, but these are other areas that one they would have thought that it would be filling the effect. Now, most uh, uh, parties have taken off without their route map. So they are telling Nigerians, no, trust me, I'm flying, I'll get there, trust me. You know what's going to happen? They will crash. Mm. But an article campaign has had a campaign manifesto from day one. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the so he knows what he's talking about. One of the questions you asked is, what is the business of the federal government in... Uh, setting up federal medical centers. And I did point out that, you know, quite a number of federal medical centers are about, you know, some of the only places that people trust to get their 
Medical Services. We've also seen the federal government's intervention and what it has taken uh, for, for states to be fully involved, invested in eradicating polio. Um, and also the federal government saying, look, we need to now start building perhaps one primary health care center in each ward of, you know, I don't know whether they went through with that particular plan. But these are the kind of plans that they're coming up with to try and bring down figures such as what we're seeing uh, with maternal uh, and child mortality. So in, in terms of um, education, because we've also seen in the past, even under the government which you served, the federal government getting involved in building schools to tackle the problem of out-of-school children. Uh, we understand a new, new poll was recently out, UNICEF, saying that about we now contribute to, uh, to 20 million children uh, to the general figure. I think over 200 million children out of school worldwide. We contribute about 10% of that figure uh, to the general figure, which is really embarrassing. Uh, so there the are questions as to what would you say that, you know, the federal government should be doing in conjunction with states to ensure that we're able to tackle this, you know, disgraceful out-of-school children figure? Well, you know, if you go to our neighboring country, uh, Togo, here, they have a national policy that says you go to school up to junior secondary, is it JSS, we call it here, after that, you have two options. One is to learn a trade or you do formal education. Now, it is compulsory, it's not optional. So that is the kind of policy that we, are, we need to look at and say, and that's what uh, uh, the government of uh, President Atiku will do. It is not about saying, okay, let's be benevolent, no. It is going to be a policy that you police. You see, I, I, I maintain the issue of standardization as well as uh, monitoring and evaluation. When you don't have targets, nothing gets done. If you hold people responsible by providing the resources, don't give them responsibility without providing the necessary resources for them to execute that plan. Provide resources, give them a roadmap, and hold them accountable. Then, yes, I can, uh, I can blame them if it doesn't happen. But you can't blame anybody where the federal government is hogging everything and at the same time uh, giving instruction. No, give instruction, support them, allow them to be responsible. So while a number of people would really like to take the words of your presidential candidate to the bank, uh, there'll be questions as to the PDP as a whole. Um, what states can he really point to to say, well, this is what we've been able to do in this state, in this state, and in this state. And we promise that, you know, as a party, we certainly can do much more at the federal level. You see, you, you, you don't live in isolation. You live in Nigeria. You live under the same constraints. There are states that are doing better, some states are doing better than others. But that does not necessarily mean poverty doesn't know party line, insecurity doesn't know party line. So you can't really say, oh, uh, our, there's no state, there is no state in Nigeria that you can use as a model. You see, let, let us be real. I am saying that we should give people responsibility. I'm not trying to pick a hole in any state, but I'm saying that there is no state that I can use as a model of uh, quality education, quality health service. So there is no state that the PDP has produced 
since inception that they can say is not even in the state where it has been there consistently. You know, I will tell since you since 1999. I, I, I will tell you. Say, this is what we are going to, and if you look at this state, we can do this again. I, I will tell you. Level. I will tell you. Delta State is as good as a model. Delta State has focus on technical education because of the recognition that not everybody can go to university. You need to learn a trade. Either you go to uh, formal education or you learn a trade. We have 25 technical colleges in every local government in Delta State. Delta State 25 has- 25 technical colleges in yes. every single local government. No, no, sorry. Every, we have 25 local governments. A, local, a technical college, massive technical colleges in every local government. Well, I'm going to leave our viewers to, you know, know where Delta State is on the poverty index uh, rankings and to see whether for them that will be a model state. But at this point... I can, I, can I say something about that? If you look at not this multidimensional poverty index, if you look at NBS uh, poverty survey, the last poverty survey, uh, Delta State was the wealthiest state in Nigeria. That's the program tonight. But do share your thoughts with us on poverty in Nigeria and what you'd like to see policymakers do about it. Thank you for watching. I'm Maokwe Ogun Yusuf. Good night.